So yeah, this morning uh, we're going to look at Psalm 96. There's Bibles in the pew, or if you're own, we can turn there. But here's a thought I've been thinking about all week, um, and I want you to think about it with, this, with me this morning. It's always, uh, for us as we study, we get so much, and here we want to try to give a glimpse of what we've been studying. So we'll trust God, we'll look after that. So uh, to the extent that you personally, personally know God will be the extent that the intensity and three different areas will play out in your relationship with God. And those three areas uh, we're going to look at this morning are worship, witness, and waiting. To the extent you can worship God, witness about Him, and wait for His uh, fulfillment of His promises, how well you know God will be how well these three areas play out. So I, I kind of want to look at that, and we'll end with those three words as well. Uh, Graham read from Psalm 95, and this Psalm 96 this morning is from a group of psalms, uh, Psalm 93 to 100, that uh, praise God for His rule, His creation, and uh, not only His rule right now, but His future rule coming. So uh, they would sing and uh, sing and read these psalms on those on those themes that God is a reigning God and we see this uh, Psalm 96 in particular David actually used it in first uh, Chronicles 16 when he brought the ark uh, from a small village into the city of Jerusalem and so in David's prayer and praise he actually uh, read this psalm so we know it's uh, possibly written by David, but you could see if you're uh, in the Bible at Psalm 96, it actually doesn't say, so we're not sure if he is the author or not. So let's read Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of peoples, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. God's word. So we just want to walk through this psalm and uh, see what it says. Uh, worship, the word is defined as giving something or someone their due worth, kneeling or bowing before 
as superior, adoring something as beautiful or precious, giving proper respect and reverence. And Psalm 96 tells us to worship. It begins, and that was the privilege we just had, it tells us to sing to the Lord. And when it says there, sing a new song, doesn't necessarily uh, mean sing a brand new song. But in uh, the sense that every song should be sung with new meaning, with new praise and worship for God. So whether we sing a song for a thousandth time or whether it is a new song, it's the sincere heart of worship that makes it new because today we're singing anew how great God is. And that's what it means by singing a new song. Keep on singing to this awesome God. He's continually sustaining the world and watching over us, so we should continually praise God for who he is. Verse 2 tells us to uh, tell of his salvation day to day or every day. So his salvation is worth proclaiming every day. So some of you, uh, maybe you've received good news lately, and if, uh, if you're like most of us, good news is very exciting for a little while, but then it kind of dies off, and then we maybe need some new good news. But here uh, he says, sing day by day. God's saving grace is worth praising every day. It's good news every day and will be. And we can worship him for that. And then verse 3, it says to declare his glory and his marvelous works. That, that gives us indication to tell everyone around us, at work, in our families, um, on our sports teams. Declare how good God is. It's, uh, and it's meant to be a joyful privilege uh, to do that, to declare his glory and his marvelous works. Verse 4 says, great is the Lord, and we just sung that, greatly to be praised. Because he is great, our praise should be great, or accordingly to his greatness. His love is great, his mercy is great, his holiness is great, his judgment is great, and on and on it goes. And here that question of what I said, to the extent we know this great God will be the extent of our great worship as well. Verse 4 and 5, because God is so great, he is above all other gods. There's no other satisfying options. The nations around Judah all had their own idols. Each one had their God, the God of Moloch and the God of Baal, all these different gods. And they uh, thought these were all the supreme gods. And when the psalmist calls the gods of the surrounding nations worthless idols, he is using a Hebrew word that means worthless or of no value. It's actually a play on words. Elohim is the one true God, but it's a similar Elilalim, something like that. But it means fake God. It's not a real God. So these gods can't help. They are fakes. There's only one true God, and he created the heavens. Basically, why would you want to trust something that you made yourself when you could serve the God who made you and created everything around us? And this is kind of what he's trying to get us to see, the logic of this. Isaiah 44, 
talks about this when God condemns the idol worship of Israel and the surrounding nations. He said, let's think about this. You cut down a tree, half of it you cut up, you burn in the fire, you make bread, you keep yourself warm, and the other half you make an idol. You put silver and gold on it, and you say, this is our God. (laughs) He says, can't you see this absurdity? And unfortunately, they didn't. They kept on doing that. And so here the psalmist is also saying, like, think about this. Why would you worship something that can't help or has no value. Verse 6, He is splendor, majesty, strength, and beauty. It's actually quite amazing, that statement, that God is beautiful, full of splendor, majesty, and strength. I don't know some of us guys can maybe kind of God is beautiful, that might be a a foreign term, but he is beautiful, not just in appearance, but who he is, is full of beauty. In Isaiah 6, we read the prophet Isaiah had a vision of God, and uh, he was confronted with God's splendor, majesty, strength, and beauty. And he saw angelic beings crying out in response, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And if, we, if you've read that, Isaiah is overwhelmed by God's glory, by his beauty. And he says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I am undone. And he was just so overwhelmed by God's splendor, majesty, strength, and beauty. And he quickly realized how far short he fell and how sinful he and his people were. So it's an, it's an amazing scene uh, of him being confronted with these four uh, things that are said of God. Verse 8 says, Bring offerings into his courts. Worship includes, included offering things to God. There would be the animal sacrifices. There would be the produce sacrifices. Uh, at times they were required. And at times, uh, they were free will offerings, thank offerings. So here he's calling them, bring these offerings to the courts. Here is a God who deserves and who we want to worship in this way. So they had this sacrificial system to do that. They gave honor and acknowledged uh, that through their sacrifices that God was their creator and king and their provider and sustainer. Verse 7 to 8 uses the word ascribe three times. Some of your translations, if you have a different one, says give to the Lord. It would say that three times. So it's done for emphasis and it calls us to action. Uh, Verse 8, it says give the glory, do his name. So God isn't asking for something that he can't demand or ask of us. He deserves this. He deserves praise, worship, and honor. And that can sound just a bit off for some people. That sounds a bit arrogant, but it would be if it was a king saying, worship me as God, give me glory and splendor. Well, that would be out of line, but not with God. He is great and mighty, and it is right to give him this worship. God wanted the Jews to declare 
and tell of his greatness to the nations around them so that the nations around them would know what a great God this was and is. But this was often a struggle for the Jews. Uh, they were to run their nation under God, but uh, often they struggled. And this was so that the nations would know who God is and he would be introduced to them. In Joshua 2 for those that know your history a little bit, uh, the Israelites are about to enter the promised land. They're on the other side of the Jordan, and across the river is the city of Jericho. And Joshua commands two of his men to go spy out the land, and especially Jericho, to see uh, how they need to, to battle this city. So if you know the story, the two men met a woman named Rahab, who said, and this is what she said to the two men. I just want to read... Joshua 2, 9 to 11, Rahab says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came up out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And here's what she says, For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So Rahab, after hearing these stories, she knew there is no other God other than this God whom the, the Israelites serve. And she declares herself, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And we know she was saved uh, from the destruction and she's um, part of uh, the Israelite history. But here we see people began to realize this God the Israelites serve is an amazing, awesome God. And now God wanted to use the Israelites <clears throat> to show these nations that they could be also serving him. But as I mentioned, uh, often it just didn't work that way. They were accepting the nation's ways and serving their gods instead of the others. Back to verse 7, uh, it says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. And this Hebrew phrase is found in Genesis 12, 3, where God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, him I, will I curse. And in you, all the families, there's that phrase, of the earth shall be blessed. So I think the psalmist is remembering God's promises to Abraham, and here he's reiterating that, that all the families of the peoples will be blessed and they should praise the Lord. And he may not quite see that fulfilled yet, but he knew that was part of God's promises. So here he's calling the families of the peoples give the Lord glory and strength. So verse 10 begins with an emphatic proclamation that the Lord reigns and to declare this to the nations. And it doesn't even matter if the nations believe this, it's true regardless. And we are to declare that to the world. And one of the reasons he reigns is because he created he firmly established the world 
meaning that he took great care and he did a thorough good job establishing the world. It's not just going to fall apart. He did a good job. And the second reason he reigns is because he is the final judge of the, world, of the whole world. And we sang about that this morning. Philippians 2 talks about every knee will bow, every tongue confess. And here we read that the judging will not be flawed. It will be done with equity and fairly. There be no, un, no shady or unfair judging here. And I know speaking of judgment often can lead to more negative feelings, but the psalmist is saying this as a good thing, that God is actually going to make everything right and there will be a fair judgment. And he wants us to rejoice in this and give God glory for that. And there are many people and nations who are longing that there is a God who will be just and judge fairly because of the way they were treated. And that is what verse 10 is saying. The peoples will be judged with equity. And then verse 11 and 12 speak of the whole creation itself waiting for this fair judgment. And that creation itself would be freed to worship its creator. And I know for many of us, uh, this would be a reminder of Romans 8. So you want to keep your finger in Psalm 96 and just head over to Romans 8. I do want to read that because it's an incredible passage that's very relative to what we're reading here. I'm going to read Romans 8, uh, verse 18 to 26. So Paul is talking about suffering. He's talking about life in the Spirit and uh, the joy it is that we can call God our Father through the Spirit. So here's what Paul says starting in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the, re for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fut futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for what, who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." So there we read, uh, uh, even in the New Testament, whole creation is waiting and longing for God to restore and renew and, and fulfill his promises. We know it's coming, but uh, here the psalmist is, is saying the same thing as well. And verse 13 re-emphasizes that the Lord will come to judge and make things right. And you notice the phrase there, uh, for he comes, for he comes. He says that twice. And I don't know if you've ever uh, had guests come to your place, family from out of town. Somebody shouts, they're here, they're here. 
and it's meant to be a, an emphasis. There's great joy that they're here, and uh, we get to celebrate now. And that's basically what uh, the psalmist is doing here. He comes, he comes. He is coming. He is going to do what he says. And that emphasis is meant uh, to give joy again. And so we know that, that God will judge the world in righteousness. Every person who does not belong to God, like he says there in verse 13, he will judge the world. That means the people in the world who have chosen not to follow God or maybe never heard. And I know that's a question that often came up in youth, uh, in young adults. Like, well, what about those people that haven't heard? God's just going to send them to hell? But here we're, we're reminded that God will judge each person with equity and fairly. There will be no unjust judgment. And that gives us great joy. God will not do something that isn't fair. It will, be it will be with equity and faithfulness. And in righteousness, that means it will be done right. So he's going to judge the world that way. And then it says, and the peoples in his faithfulness. Those people that have made God their Savior come through Jesus Christ. And for the Israelites who have made God their Savior, he will be faithful to judge and I read in Psalm 103 that he has forgiven us our sins. We have eternal life, and in faithfulness he will see that through. And so that gives us cause for praise and worship. So that's Psalm 96. And so uh, as we just uh, reflect on that, I again want to go back to those three words, worship, uh, witness, and waiting. And so far this morning, we again have had the privilege of worshiping this morning through singing. Um, that's a means of how we can worship God. And I also believe this, uh, spending time in God's Word, is also worship. And uh, celebrating communion, observing that, is also worship. And we, uh, you might have seen some people raise their hands. That is worship. And you might have seen some people just quietly reflecting. That is worship. It's all uh, equal worship because it's a heart that is uh, praising God for what he's done and who he is. And the uh, Israelites also had the uh, animal sacrificial system that they used to honor God. I was thinking about what sacrifices do we bring? We don't have to kill animals anymore and do that. What are sacrifices we can uh, bring to God? And there's a few verses that I want to highlight, and it's Hebrews 13.15, tells us to uh, continually bring a sacrifice of praise to God. It's the fruit of our lips. Our lips are used to, to bring praise to God. This is a sacrifice that God is pleased with. And then verse 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. And then it says, for such sacrifices, God is pleased with. So that's pleasing to God when we give, when we share our things out of a heart of worship. That sacrifice is pleasing to God. Romans 12, 1, Paul tells us in response to God's mercy and salvation, he actually says, offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice. 
Some translations will say, for this is your spiritual worship. Others say, for this is your reasonable worship. When we consider what God has done for us, uh, his salvation, his promises, he said it's only reasonable to offer ourselves to him. And that sacrifice is pleasing to God. So I, I spent a bit of time this week saying, well, where is my worship at as I think about these things? And uh, so I invite you to reflect on that as well. So that's a bit about worship. And then witness. Psalm 96, uh, we are encouraged to tell, to declare, ascribe, and say to each other and the world that our God reigns and he saves and he is a good God. I've been singing that song, Our God Reigns. Some of you may not know that song, but we sang it in Bible camp uh, Sunday school years ago. I'm sure some of you uh, remember that, but Our God Reigns. Uh, it was great singing that again, remembering that song. And we know as we look around the world, uh, most people don't really care that God reigns or that it, there is a God who might be reigning. And like the psalmist, regardless of what they think, we're still going to declare that God does reign. And he is reigning and there will be a reign in the future when he will actually set up his kingdom and reign. Years ago, Jan and I and Lynn and Hilda Harder, we went to uh, MC, uh, an MCC conference in uh, Niagara, so we were overlooking the falls. It was pretty awesome. And uh, while the ladies were at the MCC conference, Lynn and I were uh, trying to figure things that us guys could do. So Lynn wanted to go to a Tiger Cat uh, factory where they make uh, logging equipment, skitters, bunchers and uh, several other things they had a new state-of-the-art plant in Brantford so we went there uh, he phoned said can two guys from northern Alberta uh, northern BC uh, have a tour and he said absolutely all vis all visitors welcome so we went and uh, we were met by a guy in a suit and had a little bit of orientation and in a way we went and so we thought, well, this is pretty official. Two guys from northern BC, a guy with this suit is taking us on this tour. And uh, they have 1,500 employees. They have a number system with number one being the top guy. This guy was number three. And we're going like, what are you doing taking us on a tour? One of us doesn't even really care about this. <laughs> Although it was very fascinating and the new state-of-the-art building, that, that was where I was uh, very interested but anyways, Lynn, uh, we go through this tour, and this guy in a suit, he takes Lynn uh, right into the engine, to the, uh, uh, just the whole building process. I mean, on one end, there was a stack of metal, and on the other end, there was a brand new buncher or a brand new skidder. And this guy in the suit, uh, Lynn even asked him, like, well, here's some trouble we've had with some of your uh, machinery. And he said, oh, we fixed that. So he just went right in.
All right, are we back on? Yes, we are. Thank you for your patience. But anyways, this guy in the suit, he is just in detail talking about his product. Like, it was amazing how passionate he was about his product, about his company. And of course, you know where I'm going with this. Um, it, was, it was just amazing to see. And it also made me reflect, am I that excited about my, if you want to call it product, my Savior, my God? And that can be a negative, downer kind of a statement, but I'm asking you to positively reflect on that, as I did, because I know I fall way short of declaring who God is and how great He is. And here we have a, a worldly guy with a worldly product uh, just he knew his stuff, he was proud of it, he was excited about it, just got right in there with his three-piece suit. And so, uh, to the extent I know God is the extent I'm going to want to tell people around me about him. If I'm so-so with God, or it's, I, I won't be excited about it. So anyways, it's, it's very uh, convicting. So to the extent I know my God will be the extent that I want to declare that God is reigning and that he is a good God. He's our creator, our sustainer, provider, and uh, we want to declare that. And then lastly, waiting. The psalmist speaks of God reigning and judging the world as if it was happening. And in one sense it is. God is reigning. He is in control. And even back in Romans 8, it says, like, all things work together for the good, even those challenging things. But if we're honest, we often see God doesn't seem to be reigning. It seems like the world is more out of control than uh, Him reigning. And so, in a sense, we're waiting for Him to, to implement His promises, to reign, and to come and fulfill His promises. And the Bible tells us not to become discouraged as we wait for this to happen. And back in Romans 8.25, it told us to wait patiently for it. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we know what's going to happen, we wait patiently for it. And there again, that challenge is the more we know God and who he is, what a great God we have, the more we can wait patiently for him to fulfill his promises. And if we're not sure about that, uh, we're confused about how God is doing his business, we can become discouraged because it doesn't look like he cares or he's involved or dealing with things. There's this powerful scene in, in Revelation 6, 9 to 11 uh, Revelation is a lot about end times, God's future judgment and his coming, restoring things. And in Revelation 6, it talks about him um, opening seven seals. And these are the beginning of God's judgments. And verse 9 of uh, Revelation 6, it says, The fifth seal was opened, and John saw the souls who had been killed for their faith in Jesus. And these souls cried out, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They long for him to judge those people that martyred, they were martyred because of. And they were told to rest and wait a little longer. 
it's not quite time yet. And so they were told to rest and wait a little while longer. And maybe that's what you need to hear today. Rest and wait a little while longer. And rest and wait doesn't mean no action. It means continue on serving, knowing he will. There is a day when he will say, Jesus, it's time. And he will come. And he will judge and he will uh, welcome us into his kingdom. Those, have, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. So the more we are in tune with God, the more we can join in waiting for him to fulfill his promises and not become discouraged. He is active and working right now. Uh, so in the meantime, Jesus calls us to faithful service. Even as you wait, he is active in the world. He promised his church will grow and the gates of Hades or hell will not stop it from growing. Recently, we've had people who have been saved. Things have happening. God is working, even though at times it seems kind of quiet or even discouraging. So uh, just in the closing thoughts, Psalm 96 describes this God who is great and uh, mighty and worthy of our praise and worship. And we know in the New Testament, Jesus came uh, as a baby and he lived as a man and it says he was the exact imprint of God the image of God so Jesus demonstrated this great God when he was here on earth so we saw God in action and we know he is a good and great God so let's pray dear God thank you for this uh, morning just thank you that we have the privilege of meeting here today that we can sing and celebrate and worship you. And I know there are some who are in that place. They are celebrating, worshiping you. And I, we also know there are some who have maybe had a hard week and it's a little harder to celebrate and worship. But I pray that um, we could still worship. We could still acknowledge that you are God and you are in control. And that as we head out from here uh, to our families, our workplace, um, fun activities, sports teams, whatever it is, uh, we could just live that joyful life and be ready to declare how good you are and how great you are. And we need your help to do that, and thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit uh, to get the strength and wisdom we need to do that. So uh, thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen.